0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Growing and it has leadership, the best thing to do is to drag down the shepherd, the, the one who did the church plant. So as you go back in Scripture, see how many times when the church was planted, it was the leaders that got attacked. When a ministry began, the leaders got attacked. Now here's what I'm saying for me. As your pastor, I know that if I crumble morally, theologically, socially, in other words, if I have a glitch in my relationships with you all, if I have a character flaw in me because Satan has got a hold of me and I yielded to his temptation, in other words, I didn't... uh, I'll resist the lure that Satan puts in front of me. He will do what he can to bring me down, whether it's spiritually or, or, or attacking from within, like the, the slave girl, or attacking us from without, the magistrates and all the business people that lost business because of the gospel, whether it's from in or without. That's going to come against me. So here's what we need to do as a family. First of all, what I need to do is to stay as clean and close to the Lord as I possibly can. I need to make sure that I don't get so bogged down into doing that I forget the importance of abiding. The second is, we need your prayer for your pastor, that God would put a hedge of protection, that I would sense when when Satan could be tempting me, when Satan isn't tempting me, but he's coming from another angle, that I would be strong in that, and that I would pray for you, and you would pray for me. Now, stay with me. While there are leaders of this church... We have also many leaders in this church, those of you that lead a Awana or the children's ministry or the youth ministry or the men's ministry or the ladies' ministry. The best way that Satan can attack those that are in the group sometimes is to go after those of you who are the shepherds of that ministry. And so that's why we need to be strong. And what we're gonna learn from the book of Philippians is what Paul did first off before he ever wrote back to the Philippians, he's planted this church, watch this now, He came under attack, and that validated his ministry leadership and that what he said was true. He's going to speak about the Lord. How can he speak about the Lord if he doesn't prove that the Lord is alive and real in his own life? And the way you see that is when you're tempted not to see him that way or you're under the attack of Satan. So it's part of God, watch this now, to allow Satan to come against the leadership in order to bring him down. And so God is right there to say, I will make you strong. So what he did is he leaned on the Lord through this. So the the people, inward and outwardly, came against those who were leading the group. All right. So it's going to come, but don't let it keep you from advancing. The next thing that they did here under the exalting of the Lord, you'll notice that they praised the Lord. Look, notice as it goes on to verse 25, it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I could emphasize the aspect of praying. Praying is kind of communing with him in your heart, maybe talking to him. Singing is expressing with your spirit to the Lord hymns Generally, those hymns would not be the hymns we sing today, but they would be hymns from the Old Testament, particularly for him being a Jew, would be the Psalms. So he sang, but what I wanted you to look at is the words, to God. Would you underline that? What he was doing at this time was not doing a concert for those who would hear him. So in other words, what was happening was under all this affliction, so he and Silas they had such a fullness of God. They talked to the Lord. They, we don't know what he said to the Lord. All we know is that they communed. He, he prayed to the Lord. He could have prayed that he would be released. He could be protected. He could have prayed that, that the other guards would come to know Christ, that the other prisoners. I don't know what he prayed, but I knew this, is that he knew to have his attitude right outward, it had to be right upward, so he prayed. Watch this now. And maybe he prayed, and through the prayer, he got his heart right, so then he could praise and sing. So maybe getting our heart right comes before the singing unto the Lord. And then we see it together, but the praying, getting our heart right. The other day, there was a lady in our church that was telling me that she really had a bad attitude. She was really grumbling. And so she went out for a walk. And while she walked, instead of using her cell phone and talking to people, what she did was she said, you know what I did? I just prayed. And when I prayed, I confessed some of my attitudes to the Lord. I got away from all the people in my life. And I just said, Lord, I need to have this. And then she said, what I did is I started singing after that. So I'm wondering if that's what happened. Now watch. They were praying and singing to God. Now look what happened next. Then it says, and the prisoners were listening. So their intent wasn't so much, I got to reach the the lost, as much as it was Paul was saying, I got to reach God. I got to be connected to God. But the prisoners were listening to them. And so while that was going on, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, probably because they were connected to the rocks or whatever, the concrete or in, that, in those days, the, the stone, and that all broke apart, so the, the iron bars fell apart, and everyone's chains were loosened. Now, I don't know. I, you know, there's a lot of jokes preachers say at this time. I don't know if it was a bad singing or whatever. I tend to think this in my own heart, that as they sung to the Lord, they had their hearts right with God, that in God's sovereign exact time, at the right time, these prisoners, while they were listening, something happened that was beyond the control of the prisoner, Paul, and beyond the control of the other prisoners, they knew that God had to do something. It is, something was happening that was beyond their control. What was going on? So then what did Paul do? He used it as an opportunity to be alert to evangelize. So in all circumstances, I'm even in jail, I'm going to use it as an outreach. So we evangelize the world, one person and one given God-given opportunity at a time. Would you follow along as I read it to you now? It says, In the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, which was quite common because he's responsible to make sure that the prisoners didn't get loose. If they got loose, he'd die anyway, so he lost face, he'd kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, probably to get his attention. Maybe there was still some dust falling. Who knows? There could have been commotion going on in there, but he saw what was about to happen to someone who he didn't want to have die. So he screamed out to this guy with a loud voice, said, "'Do yourself no harm, for we're all here.'" Now, underline the phrase, we're all here, because I'm going to answer the question when the jailer says, "'What must I do to be saved?' Because the question often is, was he asking to be saved from hell, or was he asking to be saved that he wouldn't die?' Physically, all right? Let me go on now. So, he, so they said, we are all here. And then he called for a light, and that, the, the jailer did, and he ran in and he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so then he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now there's some arguments from Bible scholars that say what he was really saying, because the word saved just means to be saved. It could be physically, it can be spiritually. You have to get it out of the context what it would really mean. I am of the strong conviction that it refers to a spiritual salvation and not a physical one. He was worried about being saved. The earthquake is already over. It could be that he's afraid another earthquake could come. I really don't know that. We don't see that in the context. But if staying true to the context is that he'd kill himself if the prisoners got loose, we know in the context it says that the prisoners are all there, so there'd be no need for him to either be killed by, the, um, by the, his boss or have to kill himself. So it has nothing to do with him losing his life because the prisoners ran away, because they all stayed there. For whatever reason, they did not leave. They're all contained. And so now we have to believe the only other thing would be It'd have to be salvation, because it talks about spiritual matters here. When we talks about being baptized, etc., we know that's a spiritual context. So let's go on. So he brought them out, and he said this to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's interesting, he used the word sirs there to a fellow prisoner that he was watching, so it must have some respect. What must I do to be saved? So they said, notice Paul and Silas together having ministry, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you and your household." Meaning, whoever believes, you, your household, everyone who believes, will be saved if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you will look up here for a moment when we say the word believe. Faith involves three components. Faith involves hearing truth. Secondly, believing it to be truth And number three, relying on it for yourself as truth. So I could hear information that Jesus is the Savior. That doesn't mean I'm saved. I could believe that, yes, Jesus is God as truth. Now, I, I hear that information. Now, I believe that information to be true, that He is Savior. But that doesn't mean I have my full confidence in Him. It's now when I appropriate Him as my personal Savior that now I have what is known as saving faith. In this context, it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the order, on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are you believing in? Listen carefully. First, you have to believe that Jesus is God. In those days, particularly, you notice that in Philippi, because it was a Roman colony, they had a lot of other gods there, but they didn't have Jesus Christ as the one and only true God. So he had to say, out of all the other gods, you have to believe that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Lord, he is God Almighty. That's the first part of it. And then the second part of it is you have to believe the Lord Jesus Christ, and that refers to the messiahship of him coming as the promised one to die and rise again from the dead for the payment of sin. So it's all kind of encapsulated into one. I believe that Jesus is the Lord God himself who died and rose again. And the believe is, it doesn't say believe about, hear the information. It has that preposition you have to believe in or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's saying, take your faith, believe that he is who he claimed to be, believe that it's truth, and now rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. The byproduct of that is, and you'll be saved. And then it says, you and your household, implying that that same message of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is available to them as it is to you. Now the question is, what did he do with that information? Apparently, he made the right choice. All right, look what it says. It says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Now, underline that last phrase, because in a few moments you're going to see that his household was baptized. So if they spoke the same message to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we assume that they believed and the family did because the rest of the family was baptized. And then it says they took him that same hour of the night, and here's what they did. They washed their stripes, And immediately he and all his family, so he said the same truth, and all of his family were baptized, and now when he had brought them into his house, he stood, excuse me, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. And the jailer went from being mean, I might say, to, I guess, uh, rejoicing. i look up here, if you will, for just a moment. There are some that might want to draw the conclusion that I have to be baptized to be saved. All right, because it says that he spoke the word and they were baptized. If you recall, Paul did not say, believe and be water baptized to be saved. He said, all you need to do is to believe. Now, it also says he spoke the word of the Lord to them, which now implies that to be saved, it is strictly only by faith alone. We know that. But now the baptism comes in through the rest of the general information he gave about the Lord. We know that the Lord also said that once you have trusted Christ as Savior, you ought to identify publicly through baptism, not to get saved, not to stay saved, but because you are saved. So, I can only assume that since he was baptized that this jailer came to faith in Christ. So let me ask and answer this question. What could be the marks of someone who genuinely trusted Christ as Savior? Now, I'm going to extrapolate from this scripture at least what were the marks of the jailer coming to faith in Christ. If there's an outward sign, not that you do these things to get saved, but if there's an outward sign of someone coming to know the Lord, what might it be from this passage? Now, you might want to mark it. Here's what he did as an evidence of his salvation. He washed their stripes. Now, in your margin, you might want to put down he had a genuine love for other people, generally maybe hurting people, people that had special needs. In other words, this jailer got his eyes off himself and I'm going to have to kill myself. I lost my prison, what's going to happen, you know? He didn't do that. He got thinking about those that were really hurting. And particularly, it wasn't the wounds that might have occurred through the falling of the rock when the earthquake occurred. It happened when he was beaten. So he washed their stripes. What's the next thing that happened? He brought them home then and he was baptized. Look up here for just a second. It's interesting how he didn't go from believing and jump right into the baptistry. That somewhere along the line he saw that there was a greater need that I can reach out to help someone else. So it began with healing the wounds or fixing up the wounds, and then it moved into the water baptism. Then it says, now when he had brought them into his house, which means that he really had what we might want to call a ho'okippah here in our language. He was hospitable. He said, come on into my house. I want to take care of you. And then what did he do? He set food before them, and then he rejoiced and then underline the phrase, having believed in God with all of his household. That means they all believed as well. So the best I can get from this passage, if, if I want to come to this conclusion, is the message to be saved was by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Everyone had to believe. They all heard the message. The jailer heard it, and the family heard it. They believed, as well as they were baptized as a following event. So look up here, if you will, for a second. One more time. You want to start a ministry. The first thing you need to ask yourself is, is God really leading me to do this? And how might I know that he's leading me to do this? Is there a need? There's a general need. Are there people that want to partner with me with that need? Are they saying, I need help, can you help me? Then you want to take a team of people that also believe with you, maybe for accountability, maybe to share the load, maybe to be able to see it through your various gift set, whatever it might be, so there's a team involvement. When you do, look for the people that are actually seeking and responsive And the way you do that, if you remember, they spent many days in the city before they went, so to speak, to start preaching on on the Sabbath at the Riverside. So they knew where the people were. They talked to the people. They gave them the message. And then when you see that happening, the next thing you can assume will happen, there'll be opposition from within your group, like that that, uh, slave girl, and outside the group that'll come against you. And it could come because of an ethnic issue. It could come because of of a race issue, when it should be a grace issue. So they come together against you. And when they do, the opposition could be so severe that you might be removed from that ministry that you want to have. In other words, you, you have, there's some distance. You can't do the ministry, we'll say it that way, as much as you'd like. Then what you do is you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit that He's given you an, op- an opportunity to be able to manifest to the people around you that God is still in your life and you're still sensitive that you're, listen, listen, that you're allowing God to build the ministry your way. Now, He had this lady at the Riverside to do this. But now he's adding to the church this jailer. But the only way he'd reach the jailer is if there was opposition and he was thrown into jail to do that. So as you're expanding your ministry, you you can read all the church growth, all the business manuals that are out there. But the one who's going to grow your business, grow your church, grow your ministry, is going to be the Holy Spirit as you partner with him through this whole event that's going on. We see one other thing here as we bring this to a close, and that is the encouragement of the family of faith that Paul, he exalted the Lord through all of this. He wanted to help and reach out. He wants to find out how he can do what God wanted him to do there in Macedonia to help, particularly in Philippi. He evangelized one person at a time, but he also encouraged. Go on and follow with me, if you will. It says, and when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, the police officers saying, okay, let those men go now. And the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, again, could have been the jailer, Oh, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, you go ahead. You can go. Go in peace. And Paul said, no, 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 no. They beat us openly. Uncondemned Romans. Now, there's a lot behind that because as being Romans, they should have had a trial and they should have had it done right. They should have been just beaten and thrown in jail. And he's saying, we're Romans, so we have special privileges as other Romans, even if we're in Philippi. And having thrown us into prison, they did this. And now do they put us out secretly? Nope. Let them come themselves and get us out. So the police officers told these things to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans because now they can get in trouble because they condemned a person without going through a proper Roman trial. So then they came and they pleaded with them to bring them out and let them go and they asked them, go ahead, leave the city. And so it was at that time now that Paul went out of prison, he entered the house of Lydia and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So simply stated is this, Paul still cared for that new church, and he's getting ready to depart. I think he could have left Luke there as the temporary pastor while he was led to go to another area. Who did he leave there? We know that he left there Lydia. We know that he left there a jailer and their families, and the extended family perhaps, a slave girl, and Luke. And so that church had a healthy beginning because the leadership of that church was healthy. And so I would like to tell you that as we begin next week, we are going to start our study verse by verse through the book of Philippians. We're going to begin to discover what does God have for us and what we would have as a church and as a person. And I urge you to be back because we're going to talk about some important things as we begin that study. But for those of you who are our guests right now, here's my question to you. This may not mean a lot to you because you're not starting a church, a business, a Bible study, or anything like that. So you're wondering, how does this all fit with me? Here's perhaps why God brought you here today. Perhaps, and that is this. This jailer woke up one morning. He had a responsibility, keep all the prisoners safe and locked up. He had no idea that an earthquake would occur and God was using an outside event to cause him to think about a spiritual matter of his own destiny. Is it possible that you're hearing this story of what happened to this man because God is going to send you an earthquake or you're in the midst of an earthquake right now, a social earthquake, a financial earthquake, perhaps a health earthquake, but there's an earthquake going on in your life right now. And it's kind of rocking and rolling. And you might want to solve it yourself instead of perhaps humbling yourself and say, wait a second, God is in control of everything I can not control and he's permitting this to come my way. What do I need to do to have an eternal perspective about my eternal life? And your question might be, what, what do I need to do to be saved? And I can only tell you the answer is still found in Scripture. There's only one thing that you need to do to go to heaven. It's the same thing that Paul told that Philippian jailer as he is telling us today. There's only one thing, and that is that you need to believe on the Lord, that He is God, Jesus Christ, that He died and rose again. It is not be good. It is not believe and be good. It is only believe in Jesus Christ. Now, in this particular case, the earthquake ended. I can't understand what your earthquake, I don't know how long your earthquake is going to be. I can assume this, that after the earthquake and all the prisoners and all of that, this jailer still had to overcome some issues that were going on between he and his boss. So things are still going to happen. And things are going to happen in your life. The only difference is this. This guy knew he was going to heaven. He was encouraged. Do you know you're going to heaven by faith alone? And I pray that you'll come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I can't be good to go to heaven, but the best I know how I'm going to trust Jesus Christ as my personal savior. Now for the rest of us, let's look at these action steps. First of all, how have I sought the Lord to give me direction in my life? Are you making decisions about a career? Are you making decisions about where you're going to live, a ministry you want to start, a place you want to go with your life? Have you sought the Lord? Lord, are you leading me? You don't want to walk by sight. But sometimes God is going to lead you through, through circumstance. A second question, who is in my world right now that may be receptive to the truths of salvation? Who do you know right now that Lord might be getting ready for them to hear the message of salvation through you? And how can I identify with them? And number three, when was the last time I shared the gospel with someone and they trusted Christ, and what was their response? I hope that we're still faithful to the gospel. We're a great church and great people in here with the greatest message. What type of opposition have I received when I did take a stand for Christ and how did I respond? And I pray that we respond to the Lord in these measures as well. What a great way to begin the book of Philippians. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. You know that God doesn't bring people and message together accidentally, that there is great purpose in it. God wanted you to hear this message today. He permitted you to hear it. Something can happen in your life. So the first question you can simply ask yourself is am I responding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Has he closed one door and I should be looking for another open door? Is there an appeal for help? Could it come in a church where they're saying they need help in a ministry or help on the job or help with a neighbor and that's an opportunity for me to do ministry there? And will I, like Paul, immediately go where that need is to help meet it? And second, am I focusing on reaching people that are seeking and receptive? Not because um, God can't do it. It's because God is causing people to be seekers. Not me, not manipulation. And where can we go that people really are seeking and, receive and have receptive hearts? Is it going to be on Tuesday night at River of Life is it going to be in a new ministry of outreach with Pastor Charlie and the gang as they put together some special events? Is it going to be a neighbor that maybe has some crisis going on? And then, are we ready to be strong in the midst of opposition when it comes? Not, not if it comes, but, but, but when it's going to happen? And will our opposition come from someone that's in our midst already? Or will it come from somebody on the outside? And will we lean on God's power? And then finally, will I recognize the Lord's involvement in all my circumstances, that God is there? He wants me to exalt Him even when I'm in adversity. He wants me to use it as an opportunity to further the gospel. He wants me to encourage another family member of the faith and so that I have a ministry for others because joy comes from Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last. And we're going to do that. And for those of you who are guests here today, whatever earthquake you might be experiencing... Will you cry unto the Lord and say, Lord, what must I do to have spiritual eternal salvation? And it's found in believing that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the King of kings, the only God, Jesus Christ, the promised one from the Old Testament that came to die and rise again to pay for your sins so you can spend eternity with Him. And you do it by placing your faith alone in Him. So maybe say, Lord, the best I know how I'm going to trust Jesus Christ to give to me eternal life. Is there anyone here today that with a quiet, uplifted hand would let me know silently that you're going to call upon the Lord to be your Savior? You are trusting in Him. You're like that Philippian jailer almost 2,000 years ago that says, I'm believing that Jesus is the Lord and I'm trusting in Him as my personal Savior. Would you slip up your hand right now if you're trusting Christ in here today? Is there anyone at all? Thank you. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we as a faith family come to study this material, I thank you that we've learned how this church, a healthy church, began. And as it began, it began with people that cared for one another and were led by the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, as we move ahead next week and we study about these great truths, help us to be a church that will help minister to the needs of others. Now, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.